Luke chapter 24. We'll begin reading at verse 13 and read through verse 35, and that entire portion will also be our text. Luke 24, beginning at verse 13. And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about threescore furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem? And hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have, de- should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came, saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it, even so as the women had said, but him they saw not. Then he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village, whither they went. And he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread, and blessed it, and brake, and gave to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and hath appeared to Simon. 
And they told what things were done in the way, and how he was known of them in breaking of bread. We read thus far in the Holy Scriptures. It's now late afternoon on Resurrection Sunday. And the Gospel of Luke takes us from the scene of the empty tomb to a scene outside of Jerusalem on one of the dusty roads, this one in particular, heading northwest. And there, on those roads, we see all sorts of travelers heading home. It was the first day of a new week. The week-long celebration of the Passover was finished. It was a memorable Passover. Things had happened in Jerusalem that had stirred everyone up. We can well imagine that many of these wayfarers were talking about what had happened in Jerusalem. The things concerning this Jesus of Nazareth. After all, many of them had entered into Jerusalem last Sunday. Along with this Jesus of Nazareth, many of them had cried out Hosanna as this Jesus of Nazareth rode into Jerusalem upon the back of a donkey. There had been much excitement only a week ago, but what had happened this Passover week? This Jesus is crucified. What a shame, some of them may have said. We thought this man was going to be something and Turned out to be nothing. Others probably wagged their heads and reproached who they thought was still a dead Jesus. What a fool. He saved others, but he could not save himself. As the people had chanted around the cross. People were talking about what had happened in Jerusalem as they went home from the pilgrim feast. But now, Luke zooms in on two travelers who are heading home to the village of Emmaus, a small village which was three score furlongs from Jerusalem, meaning seven miles. They were on their two-hour or two-and-a-half-hour journey home from Jerusalem. And these travelers were in deep conversation also about Jesus of Nazareth. But they weren't shaking their heads, what a shame. They weren't wagging their heads, reproaching the Christ who had died. But they were downcast, and visibly so, for these two were followers of Jesus. Members of his broader group of disciples. We know the name of one of them, which is given here, Cleopas. We don't know the identity of the other, likely another friend or another disciple of Jesus. The events of the Passion Week had crushed them. And with sadness, two troubled travelers make their way home to Emmaus. But on that road to Emmaus, the risen Lord would appear. His third appearance After his resurrection, the first being to Mary Magdalene, the second being to the other women who came to the tomb that morning. And now this is his third appearance on Resurrection Sunday to these two troubled travelers on the way home to Emmaus. And we see why Jesus came to them. And we see how troubled they were and how perplexed they were. He came to do a very significant and important work. 
to explain himself to them, to explain the cross to them, because they did not understand. Jesus comes to them on the road to Emmaus, opens their eyes, warms their hearts, rekindles their faith. Beautiful story, gospel history. Let's now join those travelers on the road that we may have our hearts warmed and our faith kindled. We consider this text under the theme, The Risen Lord Opens the Scriptures on the Emmaus Road. We'll look first at the two troubled travelers, then secondly at the stranger who opened the Scripture, and then thirdly, their eyes which were opened and their hearts which were set aflame. Cleopas and his companion are deep in conversation as the Gospel of Luke sets them before the mind's eye. Deep in conversation about those things which had happened. And as we come alongside Cleopas and his companion, we see them with their heads together. We hear the animated tone of their voice. They are deep in conversation. And as the text says, they communed together. They reasoned. And what that means is they were searching. They were searching for an explanation of those things that had happened. They were searching, looking to make sense of what they had experienced in the past few days. And so engrossed were they in conversation that they took little notice of all the other travelers on the road, the other pilgrims returning home. So it's not surprising that they don't notice right away a stranger. Just another traveler as he draws near to them until that stranger was walking right beside them. The text says he went With them. You can picture it. Their heads are together. In deep conversation. Until out of the corner of their eye. They see someone is right there. And they look and. Oh. There's a stranger. Walking beside them. Stranger which the text tells us. Was none other than the risen Lord Jesus himself. Why was he Jesus on this road? He's not traveling. But Jesus is here. Seeking and saving. Seeking these two lost disciples. Not lost in the sense that they were unsaved, but lost because they did not understand what had happened. And because they were plunging deeper and deeper into sorrow, Jesus came for them, for two troubled souls. They look up and they see this stranger walking beside them, the Lord Jesus Christ, and they don't recognize him. Why? Well, verse 16 of the text tells us why. Their eyes were holden that they should not know him. Jesus concealed his identity from them. He powerfully withheld recognition from them. Mark 16, verse 12, which by the way is the only other place in scripture that refers to this event. Mark 16, verse 12 says this, After that, he appeared in another form unto two of them as they walked and went into their country. In another form. Now, that doesn't mean that Jesus completely transformed his outward appearance so that he looked like a completely different person. But rather, the idea is that he made himself appear just like another traveler on the road. And that's who 
Cleopas and his companion thought he was. And so Jesus comes alongside these two, and he asks what they're talking about. Verse 17. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? Jesus sees and calls attention to their downcast countenance and the earnestness in which they are engaging in conversation with each other. What is going on, he asks. This is often how Jesus operated, is it not? The master teacher would ask questions to draw out of the heart that which was really weighing upon a person, that with which a person was really struggling with, Jesus asks those questions to draw out of them their problem. Well, Cleopas answers with astonishment. You don't know? You don't know? Where have you been? You must be a complete stranger to Jerusalem because everybody knows what has happened in Jerusalem these past few days. Jesus presses the question, what things? What things? He says in verse 19. Here Jesus draws out of these two troubled travelers. What is so troubling them? What's at the center of their animated conversation with each other? Verses 19 through 24 are an eruption, a continual flow of words. Cleopas and his companion spill their hearts out to Jesus. And they said unto him, and then follows all of those verses, what they say. And you can, you can hear them both talking at the same time. The things concerning Jesus, they say. Not knowing that the stranger they spoke to was the risen Lord himself. The things concerning Jesus. He was a prophet. Surely you have heard of him. Jesus the prophet. Mighty in deed and in word before God and all the people. What a mighty prophet he was. The miracles he did. We even saw some of them with our own eyes. A prophet. Mighty in word. Did you ever hear him preach? What authority totally unlike the scribes and the Pharisees or any of our religious leaders. There was none like him. And blameless, both before God and all people. In the words of Cleopas and his companion, it's clear what these men thought of Jesus. They were believers. They didn't think he was merely a prophet, but they thought he was the prophet, the promised Messiah of God. That's who they believed Jesus was. And verse 21 makes that clear. They say to Jesus, we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. Literally, we hoped that he was the one coming to redeem. That's how they viewed Jesus. That's what they mean when they say, this prophet, mighty in word and deed. Haven't you heard about this Jesus? Haven't you heard what happened? How our chief priests, our rulers, who should have rejoiced at his coming, took him and they killed him. They brought him to Pontius Pilate and there they accused him. And there he was condemned. And there the people, we couldn't believe it, the people 
with one voice cried out for him to be crucified. And the governor complied, condemned him, and he was taken to Golgotha. And just this past Friday there, he was crucified like a criminal between two other criminals. And it's been three days since these horrible events have taken place. And now to add to our troubled hearts and to our perplexity, just now this morning, many of the women of our company, they went to the tomb to finish anointing his body. And they found the tomb opened. And they went into the tomb and they found the body gone. And they came running back to us. The craziest story. The body wasn't there. And we saw angels who told us that the Lord is alive. That he is risen. Then a couple of our number ran to the tomb to check it out themselves. Peter and John, as we know from the Gospel of John. And they found it just as the women said. We don't know what to think. But what we do know is Jesus, the prophet, mighty in word and deed, who we hoped would redeem Israel. He died. His tomb is empty. His body is gone. That's for certain. But he died. We don't know what to think. We had believed. He was the one. Now he's dead. Here's here's what Jesus was after. Here's the heart of the trouble that weighs upon these two travelers' hearts. Here's what they were struggling with. He died. The one we believed was the Messiah died. He was crucified like a criminal. And that contradicted everything they thought about the Messiah and what he would do. The cross They couldn't grasp the cross. That's really the sense of verse 21 at the heart of this outflow of words from Cleopas and his companion when they say, but we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And in those words you catch a sense of doubt, do you not? That's what we believed, but we don't know if it's true anymore. That's what we thought, that's what we hoped. Can it really be? He died. He died. The Messiah is not supposed to die. He's supposed to conquer. He's supposed to establish a kingdom. He's supposed to reign forever. Last Sunday, he rode into Jerusalem like a king and the people cried, Hosanna. That's what's supposed to happen. Not him dying. Christ of God can't be crucified. How can a dead Christ possibly redeem Israel? This was becoming more and more certain in their minds. And here we see their trouble and the perilous spiral of their misunderstanding of all of the things that had happened. We thought Jesus was the Christ. But Jesus died. The Messiah can't die. And that means Jesus can't be the Christ. That's where they were going. That's where their reasoning was leading them. That's why Jesus seeks them out on Resurrection Sunday. They need help. They need help. 
Their problem is the cross. They stumble at the cross. Don't you see the irony of it? How they need help? The very thing by which Jesus actually redeemed his people, that's the thing they see as disproving what they thought of him, that he was the Messiah come to redeem. The death blow, the cross was the death blow to Satan, and they saw it as the death blow to their hope. And this is also why Jesus hid his identity from them. He did not want to distract from the lesson he would teach them by showing himself risen. Before they were to see him risen, they needed first to be instructed about the cross. Only when they understand the cross does he show himself to them alive. This is of first importance that they learn the meaning of the cross and see that their misunderstanding is leading them in the completely wrong direction. The cross is not defeat. The cross is in fact victory. So how how can these two troubled travelers be corrected? How can they come to an understanding of the cross? Well, this stranger, he opens the scriptures. He opens the scriptures to them. Jesus knew that this is what they needed most. The scriptures. He didn't have to produce some grand logical argument. He didn't have to give them other signs Or a demonstration of power to teach them what the cross was. And to give them all that they needed to understand the events. The things that had happened. They needed the scriptures. Because in the scriptures. There is written large. All of these things. Concerning Jesus of Nazareth. And so on that dusty road to Emmaus. The stranger walks beside these two troubled travelers. And having drawn from their hearts what troubled them so, now he speaks. And from the scriptures, Jesus expounds to them the things concerning himself. He shows to them, he teaches them the necessity of the Messiah's suffering and death. He explains to them the reason and the meaning of the cross. That's the event of greatest significance that takes place in our text, that took place On the road to Emmaus. Jesus expounds the scriptures. Let's look at that. He begins in verse 25. By directly addressing the root cause. Of their trouble. Verse 25. Then he said unto them. O fools and slow of heart to believe. All that the prophets have spoken. O fools. There's a rebuke here. You understand. The word fool Jesus uses here is not, a, is not a harsh term. There's not contempt in his words. But a, a literal rendering of that word is, Oh, not understanding ones. They were not understanding. And they should have understood because these things were spoken about in the scriptures. And these men were believers. They knew the scriptures. 
Jesus rebukes them with the same pastoral gentleness as he often used with his disciples when he said, O ye of little faith. That's what he's saying here when he says, Thou fools, O fools. Their problem wasn't that they didn't believe the scriptures. Of course they did. These men were believers. They said it in verse 21. We trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. Which means they were looking for a Messiah. They believed the promises of the scripture. They believed what the scriptures said about the Messiah. That he would be a king. Though we may wonder if in their conception of the Messiah. There were mixed many of the errors prevalent in Judaism of that day. Perhaps they viewed the kingdom in a more earthly way than they should have. We don't know. But the fact remains, these were believers looking for the Messiah. And they had believed Jesus was the one. They were men of faith. They believed the scriptures. The heart of their problem comes out in Jesus' words. Oh, fools. And slow of heart to believe all, all that the scriptures have spoken. It's not that they didn't believe the scriptures. It's that they didn't believe, they didn't grasp, they didn't understand certain crucial parts of the scripture. In fact, they did not understand the most essential parts of the scripture's revelation concerning the Messiah and his work. They looked for the Messiah, but because they did not believe all the scriptures, their conception of the Messiah was skewed. And so when the Messiah came, and when the Messiah finished his work in their midst, they were perplexed. Because they didn't understand and believe all, all the scriptures. What is it that these men didn't believe and understand and adequately grasp? Well, verse 26. Here Jesus gets to the point. Here's the lesson he wants to teach them. Here is what they didn't believe and didn't understand. Verse 26. Ought not Christ... To have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Jesus speaks a rhetorical question. You understand a rhetorical question doesn't need to be answered because the answer is self-evident. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things? Of course he had to. That's the point and that's the truth these men were missing. That's what they didn't believe. That's what they didn't understand. That the Messiah... Christ had to suffer and that it is precisely through suffering that he would redeem Israel and that it is only through suffering that he will enter into his glory. They didn't get that. And so when they saw the one who they believed to be the Messiah suffer and die, they were crushed and perplexed. They didn't have to be if they knew and understood the scriptures. Now we can understand why they didn't understand, can we not? We were there. We probably wouldn't understand either. And so Jesus now, in verse 26, teaches them the truth that they so desperately need to understand. This is his main point. The only way to glory is suffering. The cross, the cross was necessary, necessary. 
Jesus' death on the cross does not prove that he is not the Messiah. Rather, Jesus' death on the cross is in fact the fulfillment of what the scriptures teach concerning the Messiah. These two believers, they had latched on to certain prophecies of the scripture. The prophecies of the Messiah's glory, his power, his kingdom. But they failed to reckon with all of the prophecies about his suffering. It didn't make sense to them. They didn't like it. Whatever it may be. But they passed over it. Seed of the woman. They were looking for the seed of the woman. They loved that gospel promise. The seed of the woman that will crush the head of the serpent. But they forgot that part about the serpent bruising the heel of the seed of the woman. They looked for a king in David's line. But they did not consider what Zechariah said of him. That he would be lowly. They looked for the lion of Judah's tribe. But did not consider that he would also be the Lamb of God. Perhaps they knew Isaiah 53 verse 12. That messianic prophecy. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great. And shall divide the spoil with the strong. And they said yes that's the Messiah. A king who will conquer. Who will reign. They failed to understand the rest of the verse. Because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors. So Jesus corrects their half understanding of the scriptures. The Messiah was sent to suffer. Not just to suffer in general. But to suffer these things. These very things that you have been conversing about. These very things that you have witnessed take place these past few days. These things he had to suffer. He had to suffer these things. To save his people. To redeem them. To redeem them. To purchase. Redemption was a concept Believing Jews understood. They understood the exodus. How God redeemed them. Took them to himself for his own. Liberated them from bondage. The Christ must suffer in order to redeem his people. That's what the cross is. That's the message Jesus taught them as he opened the scriptures to them. The cross was redemption. It was the payment of the ransom price. The payment for the sins of God's people. So that justice was satisfied. God's people liberated from the bondage of sin and from the punishment due to them. At the cross, everlasting life, participation in the eternal kingdom, the Messiah merited it there for all of his own. Yes, Christ is a glorious king, but he only comes to his throne through suffering and death. Yes, he is a glorious Christ. But first he humbles himself to the uttermost. And then he is exalted to the highest. That's what Jesus teaches them. As they walk seven miles to Emmaus. And it's amazing how he teaches them this. 
Verse 27, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He leads them through the scriptures. You understand, in those days, people didn't have pocket Bibles. The only copy of scripture that most people saw was the scroll in the synagogue. Jesus didn't pull out of his traveler's robe a Bible. He opened the scriptures which he knew. And he began going through them with these two travelers whose hearts burned as they listened to him expound, explain, thoroughly interpret the scriptures. Beginning at Moses. You understand Moses there is a reference to the law which was the Jewish designation for the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And all the prophets. And prophets was the Jews' designation for the rest of the Old Testament. Moses and the prophets put together equals the entire Bible, as they had it in that day. The whole Old Testament. Genesis to Malachi. Jesus went through it all. And in each part of the scriptures, he explained, he expounded the things concerning himself. He showed them, he taught them that all of the scriptures prophesied and pointed to a Messiah who would enter glory, who would establish a kingdom, but only in the way of suffering and death. He explained to them those texts that they did not understand. He cast light on those passages that were dark to them. He expounded to them those places of the scriptures that they overlooked or forgot. Perhaps he began with the mother promise, explaining that the Christ was indeed the seed of the woman. But that on the cross, though he crushed the serpent's head, his heel was bruised. Perhaps he talked about the sacrifice of Abel and all of the sacrifices of the Old Testament, which these men had seen so many of. How that pointed to the Messiah, how it pointed to the cross. Do you not see, men, that the things which have happened these days are the fulfillment of these scriptures? How the Messiah, the Christ in whom you believed, when he was on the cross, was the Lamb of God? How he on that cross fulfilled the very Passover that you came to Jerusalem to celebrate? Jesus goes through the scriptures. The prophets, the priests, the kings of the Old Testament, they were all pictures of this Christ and his work on the cross. There on the cross, he was high priest, as well as the perfect sacrifice who offered himself once for all his people, paying for their sins. He was the king conquering sin and death. He was prophet declaring upon that cross the counsel of God concerning our redemption. Went through all the scriptures, perhaps turning to Isaiah 53 and helping them understand that prophecy like they never had before. Beginning At Moses, all the prophets, he expounded the scriptures concerning the cross. The cross. 
that understanding dawned upon them. They began to see, yes, he was the one. And that he died in this way means he was the one and he has redeemed his people. Imagine how amazing it would have been to listen to Jesus expound the scriptures. The word made flesh himself explaining to you the things concerning himself. We understand what these two men will say to each other later. Our hearts burned. Before we pass on to the last part of the history, a couple of applications of Jesus expounding the scriptures. First, we need to have the same truth impressed upon us. Suffering is the way to glory. One of the blessings we have in the New Testament is that we have a fuller and richer understanding of Jesus' work on the cross, so much so that we might say, these are gospel ABCs. It's hard for us to understand how someone doesn't understand this. We have the Spirit. We have 2,000 years of spirit-wrought development of doctrine in the church of Christ. We stand on the shoulders of all of those before us. We must be careful not to look down from our mountain peak upon those in the past who didn't understand these things as we do. These two travelers were right at the period of transition from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Though they should have known if they really understood the Scriptures, we can understand But even with our greater understanding of these things, we still wrestle with this truth, don't we? Suffering is the way to glory. That's the kind of Savior we have. Flesh really wants a different kind of Savior. Savior who's going to only exercise power, who's going to conquer, who's going to come right now and dominate. But his way is so different. Why has he taken 2,000 years to gather his church? Why does he suffer such darkness to prevail in our world? Why does he seemingly tarry? That's not the kind of king our flesh wants. Then his way with us. Christ entered glory through suffering. Will it be any different for his followers? As his followers, we follow in his footsteps. And as Jesus told us, that means taking up your cross, following him. We enter glory through suffering too. The shape of our life is cruciform. We follow the way of our master. And the flesh doesn't like that either. Must we really enter glory through suffering? 
Can't we just be taken to glory? Can't we just be exempt from all suffering? Can't Jesus just work a miracle to shield us from all of the hurts and pains of this life? We can all think of one. We can all think of a suffering in our lives or in our past where we wonder, why? Why? Why is this his way? Sometimes we can become downcast because we don't believe all the scriptures. And the important word there is all. There's passages we like. Where God speaks of good. Even promises we think certain goods in this life. And then at this season of my life I'm not experiencing that. I don't have that right now. And I can become upset with God. What's it worth? Why, why why, Why do I believe? Why do I follow Christ? If the wicked prosper... And I'm afflicted. And it doesn't seem to change. We forget what else the scripture says. We stop believing all the scriptures. The whole scripture which says, Unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ. Not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. The whole scripture which says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. The whole scripture which says, through tribulation, we enter the kingdom. You can forget those passages. The point is, the way that Jesus has marked out for us, the way in which he takes us to glory is a way that passes through suffering. And that's a gift to us, as Philippians 1 verse 29 says. It's a gift that we follow in the footsteps of our master. And we have the the wonderful gospel assurance that in that suffering, God is at work and he's using it to refine us. He works all things for our good. We know that. We know that. But sometimes experience cries out against it. And our weak flesh cries out against it. And this text comes to us with that important application. This is... The way Jesus has marked out for us. And it's a good way. And he went that way first. First. He went that way. And he suffered in ways that we will never suffer. Ways that we will never comprehend. He went the way of suffering. And his suffering is categorically different than ours. Because his suffering was that cup of wrath which he drank for us upon the cross, our hell. None of the suffering we go through in this life on the pathway to glory, none of it can be called hell. Even if sometimes it feels like hell. The hell is taken out of it. The wrath of God is taken out of it because of what Christ did. The Messiah who suffered and then entered into glory. The Messiah who suffered in order to merit for us that glory at the end of our road. Without Christ, this life would be a road of suffering leading to greater suffering, ending in the pit of hell. But because of what Christ has done, our suffering, all is subservient to our salvation and furthers us on that road to glory, to His glory. That's the truth we must see Christ, our suffering Savior, suffered to save us. 
Through his suffering, he entered into glory. And through his suffering, he has obtained glory for us. Suffering believer, rest in that. Turn and look to your Savior who suffered for you. In him you will find the strength to bear and to do all things. He's with you in the waters, in the midst of the fires. He will see you through. Trust the Christ who suffered and died for you. But a second application is Jesus teaches us the importance of the scriptures. Isn't it amazing here? Jesus goes through the whole Old Testament and expounds the things concerning himself. And that teaches us how to read the Bible. How do you find the significance, the application, the power, the food in every single chapter of this book? By finding Christ. And he's there. Jesus went from Moses, from Genesis, all the way through the prophets up to Malachi and expounded the things concerning himself. That's how you read the Bible. Finding Christ. Seeing Christ. That's the whole significance of the Old Testament. And isn't that an amazing thing? You can't understand the Old Testament until you find Christ. Because he is the sum and substance of it all. Here's the importance of expository preaching. That's what Jesus did on the road to Emmaus. He didn't share his thoughts. That's a popular thing to do in the pulpit nowadays. Just have someone get up here, share their thoughts, tell a story. It's more interesting. That's not what Jesus did. He expounded the word of God. He interpreted it. He explained it. He applied it. That's what feeds the soul. The exposition of the scriptures. The expounding of the things concerning Christ. That's what we must demand. And that's what we must cherish in the church. The exposition of the scriptures. That's spiritual food. But now back to the history. Time flew. It must have, as they listened to Jesus. Before they knew it, they were at Emmaus. And Cleopas and his companion were not ready to be separated from this man who opened the scriptures to them. And so as Jesus makes as though he would go on, and he's not deceiving them there, this too is Jesus being a teacher. He's drawing out of them the response that he wants. He makes as though he is going to go on, and they say, no, no. Come, stay with us. It's late. It's evening. The day is far spent. And they wouldn't take no for an answer. The text says they constrained him. They compelled him. And he agreed. Of course he did. That's what he meant to do. After hours on the dusty road, Cleopas, his companion, and the stranger recline for the evening meal. They lay food before them on the table. But what they're really hungry for is continued fellowship with this stranger who is so wise and mighty in the scriptures. Their hearts had warmed with the dawn of understanding. They wanted to hear more. They had more questions. They had never heard a man teach like this. Except their master. And as they reclined at the table, verse 30 says, Jesus, he, took bread and blessed it and brake. And gave it to them. Striking, isn't it, that Jesus just automatically takes the role of the host. Even though technically he's a guest. And yet the text doesn't say anything about Cleopas or his companion being bothered by this. They weren't. 
Jesus was the natural host. They had come in those hours of walking with him on the road. They had come to regard this stranger as a teacher, as their teacher. He's the one who opened the scriptures to them. And so Jesus takes the place of host and he breaks the bread and gives it to them after saying a prayer of blessing over it. And what a fitting picture, fitting picture Jesus gave. You know, that's what Jesus just did on the road. He broke the bread of life before them and gave it to them. When he explained the cross, the sufferings of the Messiah, he fed their souls. Fitting that he should be the host. But now, now Jesus will make himself known. Luke 24 verses 30 through 31 indicate that it was in Jesus' act of breaking the bread that he opened their eyes. Verses 30 and 31. And it came to pass as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and break and gave to them. And their eyes were opened and they knew him. They knew him. It was as if a veil had been torn away from before their eyes. And as they stare at that stranger, as he breaks the bread and hands it to them, recognition comes to them. It's Jesus. It's Jesus, our master, alive, just as the women had said. Now, there's much speculation about what brought about or triggered this recognition. Some suggest that the breaking of the bread was reminiscent of the Lord's Supper. Some have even suggested that this was the Lord's Supper, though that's unlikely. It's unlikely for two reasons. First, these two men weren't there when the Lord's Supper was instituted. Only the eleven were. So they wouldn't be remembering that. And secondly, it's unlikely that this was a Lord's Supper because Jesus vanishes right in the middle of it. It would be very strange for Jesus to administer the Lord's Supper halfway and then stop. No, this is an ordinary meal. Perhaps, perhaps they recognized a resemblance of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Or perhaps the breaking of bread or the, the way he phrased his prayer was familiar to them, maybe. But the likeliest explanation for why they recognized Jesus at this moment is simply, this is when Jesus wanted them to. He had concealed his identity and now he, re- he wills to reveal himself. That power which had holden their eyes from knowing him, Jesus removes that power and immediately they recognize him and they see him. He's risen. He's risen. And Jesus' revelation of himself now is the confirmation of all that he had taught them and said on the road to Emmaus. He was not just a wise teacher who understood the scriptures better than most. He was the living Lord himself. And how that confirmed every one of the words Jesus had spoken as he opened the scriptures to them. As he explained the cross. Now that they have understood the cross, they now see the risen Lord and the victory of his resurrection. He is the one he has redeemed. Then, the rest of verse 31. 
he vanished out of their sight. And this too strikes us as very odd. Why at the moment that they recognize him, why does he vanish? Or more literally, he became not appearing. He departed from them. You can imagine these two men, their eyes must have widened. They must have cried out, much like Mary Magdalene did, Rabboni, and reached out to touch him. Disappears. Why? Well, his mission was accomplished. He was there to relieve their troubled hearts by explaining to them the suffering of the Messiah. That he had done. But also this. Cleopas and his companion had to learn the same lesson that Mary Magdalene had to learn and that all of the disciples would have to learn. The Lord is risen. But risen doesn't mean going back to the same old life. He is risen, exalted. His work on earth is done. And he soon will ascend to his Father. It was not good for them to touch and lay hold upon him physically because very soon he would be physically parted from them. Jesus disappearing before their eyes is part of his teaching of them and preparing them and the church for the rest of the New Testament in which he is not here physically but there in heaven but present by his spirit and word. They react. Cleopas and his companion do. Not with terror, not with sorrow, but with wondering and rejoicing. Jesus met them as troubled travelers. He leads them, or he leaves them rejoicing. Verse 32, And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us? Well, he talked with us by the way, and while he opened the scriptures, while he opened to us the scriptures, Their hearts burned, burned, that is, kindled, caught fire. Their hearts were aflame. When Jesus found them on the road, there was but a smoking flax. Jesus did not quench the smoking flax, but he rekindled it. He rekindled it with the gospel of himself, with the words of the cross. And now that faith burns brightly, that Hope is alive again, and that love is fervent. The smoking flax has become a burning candle again. They had heard the scriptures. They had come to understand the gospel. Their hearts burned within them. That's what the word does. That's what the gospel does. You know that, don't you? God's people know that. We feel that. When we hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, when we hear expounded what the cross is and what it means for us and what the resurrection is and what it means for us, do not our hearts burn, burn. No cold sorrow in this life can ever extinguish that fire. Yes, there may be times when you're a smoking flax. Never does that flax go out. The gospel kindles our hearts. Are aflame. Because their hearts were aflame, they could not sit still. Verse 33, And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them. That same hour, that's significant. That same hour. Remember what they said to Jesus in verse 29. 
It's toward evening. The day is far spent. Abide with us. It was late into the evening. It was another two-hour trek back to Jerusalem, but that didn't stop them. Their hearts were aflame, and they had to go. They had to tell. And so they get up, even at that late hour, and they race back down the road from Emmaus to Jerusalem to where the eleven and others were gathered. They knew where to find them. And they burst through the door to tell them what had happened. How the Lord Jesus, who they did not recognize at first, had come to them on the road and expounded the scriptures to them. And then how he revealed himself in the breaking of bread. They told what things were done in the way and how he was known of them in the breaking of bread. Their burning hearts made for burning tongues that could not be silent. There's a beautiful concluding application. If your heart burns, don't be silent. Let that fire burn. Talk of it. Go tell. Not only witness in the midst of this world as a light in the darkness, but let the things of Christ be constantly in our mouths and on our tongues and the substance of our words. There's so much to talk about in this information age, in this dark world where everything seems to go wrong, where there's wars and rumors of wars, where there's all kinds of talk about bad economics, where there's all kinds of trials, where we have our personal troubles. There's so much bad and we can talk about that and talk about that and focus on that. Talk about this. Jesus came and he suffered. He died on that cross to pay for our sins. He didn't stay dead. He arose. And in his resurrection victory, he gives us life. And that we are reconciled to God. And we have a place in heaven. And that this life, though it has many sufferings, is a pathway to glory. And we are joint heirs with Christ of life eternal. And an inheritance imperishable with the saints in light. And on and on we can go. We don't have enough words to talk about all these things. Let our hearts burn with these things. And let us talk about these things. Yes, we have to talk about the other things. When we talk about these things and live in the light of these things, we are joyful. We have peace as we walk this road to the heavenly Jerusalem. Let your hearts burn, beloved. And don't stop talking about the wonderful works of God. Amen. Faithful God and Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for this gospel of our suffering Messiah who took our sin and through suffering entered glory and opened up the pathway for us into glory and who as our Good Shepherd leads us down that path through the valley into glory. Make our hearts burn. Let that fire never go out. Let us never tire to tell of what thou hast done for our souls. Amen.